0: Welcome to the Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics with Reese Teefer-Tiller. Welcome back to Fantasy Football Predictive Analytics podcast with Reese Teefer-Tiller and the Honorable Lord Reeves, Rich Rebar. How are you, Rich?
1: Gentlemen, what is going on? I don't know if if, if, if I'm a third time guest. Are there any other three time guests?
0: Maybe. Yes, maybe.
1: Oh, I thought, man, I thought I was special.
0: You can be the, we'll say this, we'll let you be the first four
1: timer. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. (laughs) I wasn't sure. I thought maybe I was in an exclusive club right now.
0: You are. You are. And uh, I mean, we've had some great guests on just the last few weeks. Last week was Nick Whalen, week before, Matthew uh, Barry Barry. and I forgot who the week before that was and so uh, anyway we always enjoy talking football here we are running up to the Super Bowl what a great day what a what a great week so much excitement yank the game's gonna live up to high hopes rich
1: I mean, I, I think so. It looks great on paper. Uh, you know, Reese is growing up in a great era of super bowls. You know, when I was his age, the super bowls were all terrible. The yes. NFC just the NFC just whipped on the AFC for a decade straight when I was when I was younger. You know you know your Super Bowl history, so you know yes. uh, that era. I I mean every Super Bowl is a blowout. We've been littered with a bunch of great games outside of maybe that Rams Patriots game a couple years ago, which at least was close but was not entertaining. By, by by a wide margin, we've had some really great Super Bowls recently. I think that this one sets up to be well. Uh, I mean, listen, Brady. Two decades of Tom Brady. I mean, you know. Him and Peyton were like the the arch rivals, and Peyton now is eligible to go into the Hall of Fame, and Brady's still playing in Super Bowls. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. <laughs>
2: okay. So you mentioned this game living up to the high. Who do you think wins, and why?
1: Uh, I mean, I I definitely I'm, I'm on the I'm on the Chief side, but I definitely believe the Bucks are a live dog. If you know you are a Bucks supporter. Uh, the the game was a little that wasn't as close as it was in week 12 you know it's was 27-24 wasn't that close though as the scoreboard says yeah. Chiefs were up 17-nothing at the end of the first quarter they were up 20 to 7 at the half they were 27 to 10 going into the fourth quarter Uh, you get a backdoor cover from the Bucs but a lot went wrong in that game for the Bucs too you know they only had they had 14 plays or 39 yards in the first quarter of that game they had three three and outs uh, didn't really you know weather that initial storm and they you just when you're chasing points against Patrick Mahomes uh, it's a big uphill battle and that's what happened in that game but when you look at this game from what happened in week 12 both those teams combined for 53 points but They each, they had three turnovers in the opposition side of the field. Both teams averaged over seven and a half yards per play. It was the only game this season in which both teams averaged over seven and a half yards per play. The Chiefs had 10 penalties, their second most in a game this season. Uh, So even with the 53 combined points, there was a lot left on the field that game and potential for that game to be even more high scoring. As much credit as we give the Chiefs and they, you know, flipped that switch again this postseason, they've only punted once. In in two postseason games, Uh, you know, the Bucs actually are the higher scoring team they've scored 30 or more points in six straight games. That's a franchise record. They've scored 24 or more points in 10 straight games. And when you're playing against Patrick Mahomes, a lot of teams, you want to get caught up in the, you know, limit possessions. Let's run the ball, play keep away. That has not worked. In you know, the nine games that Patrick Mahomes has lost, that the Chiefs have lost, that Patrick Holmes under center. I don't want to say Patrick Mahomes has lost these games. Uh, opponents have had to average 36.2 points. They've needed 29 or more points to win six of those games. In all the nine losses that they've had with Patrick Holmes under center, the Chiefs have scored fewer than 24 points in just one of those games. So that whole notion of playing keep away does, has not really worked. I mean, you've got to come in and just. Rocky, Balboa, Apollo Creed, Ivan, you got to just come in and just trade blows with the Chiefs. Hope you have the ball last in a lot of those scenarios. Uh, But you just got to come in and saying, like, we need 30 points on the board. Uh, And, you know, so hopefully if the Bucs come out with that mindset, you know, we'll have a lot of fireworks in that game.
0: So you think uh, the Bucs are going to run on first down like they did against Green Bay?
1: Yeah, they will because that's what they do. Uh, no, no team passes more in the NFL on second down than the bucks, uh, typically cause they get three yards uh, right. on first down play. But, uh, <laughs> mm. yeah, I mean, teams can't help themselves. You know, they, they, they get against the chiefs and they sit, they come out and they try to establish a run. That's what everyone does against the chiefs. And that hasn't worked. You know, the Colts pulled it off once a couple years ago, and, that, and Tyree Hill didn't play in that game. Mahomes hurt his ankle. A lot went into that game. I think the, the Colts had like a nine-minute drive at one point in that game. I mean, just – it really hasn't worked outside of that one instance. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would hope that Bruce Arians and the Bucks. <laughs> come out and want to play aggressive and try to score points uh, you know there are a lot of narratives in this game I mean obviously you know Steve Spagnuolo is no stranger to Tom Brady uh, you know the they faced off you know five times and, and, and Spags's teams have won uh, three of those five games obviously the 2007 Super Bowl sticks out in a lot of people's minds uh, but Brady's only averaged seven yards per pass attempt in those five games that they've played each other uh, you know, they, they've been able to kind of generate pressure. And the one thing with both these quarterbacks is, you know, Mahomes is a lot better at pressure than Brady, but, you know, Brady, if you can get to him, that's still like his bugaboo, you know, interior pressure, if you can get there with four, even this postseason under pressure, he's six of 21 passing under pressure in the playoffs uh, in the Chiefs defense, I feel like doesn't get enough credit for being able to turn it on too. You know, that everyone talks about the Chiefs offense has turned it on, but this Chiefs defense in these two playoff games, uh, shutting down a hot Browns offense, Baker Mayfield, five and a half yards for pass attempt. And then Josh Allen and the Bills who were legitimately the hottest offense in the NFL coming into that game and, you know, holding Josh Allen to six and a half yards for pass attempt. And Josh Allen never looked comfortable at any point in the AFC championship game. But you
2: mentioned interior pressure and who's the bet the best Chiefs defender, Chris Jones, yep. their defensive tackle. And he showed in last game's Super Bowl that he can flip the switch in the fourth quarter and almost start to take over. And everybody talks about the big Tyree Hill uh, pass in the fourth quarter, but Chris Jones does not get enough credit for effectively making the 49ers basically ineffective.
1: Yeah, he had two great plays in a row. I mean those those big those big Hawk Mollies man, they don't they don't get enough love.
0: No. How about but also, you know, if we're given a D line the advantage, I'm giving the Tampa Bay D line an advantage, especially with the beat up Chiefs O line. And would you know, getting B to b back and b Vita V whatever, you know, I uh, I think the Bucks could maybe put some pressure up the middle.
1: Yeah, I mean, you look, so the first time, first time these teams played in week 12, the Bucks only blitzed nine times, uh, 17% of the time. Uh, against every other team, they blitz 42% of the time. They're a heavy blitz team. No one, no one's sending heat at Mahomes. A lot of people think that they played a lot of man in that first game because of the Tyreek possession, but Tyreek caught two of those balls. Uh, you know, one was a single high safety look but was zone, and another one was a two high safety look but they – the the Chiefs quick snapped him and before a safety could get back, Kyrie caught that one crosser. That was the the 44 yard touchdown. Um, but the the Bucks didn't blitz at all. They got home. They they got thir- pressure on 34 percent of Mahomes' dropbacks. He was seven of 15 uh, when they got pressure and got home on him. Uh, but when they didn't get home, Mahomes was 30 of 34 passing. Wow. Uh, 89% completion rate when they when kept clean. Uh, You talked about just kind of some of the movement here. Uh, They didn't have Mitchell Schwartz didn't play in that first game anyways. But you know, losing Eric Fisher here now moves Mike Remmers from right tackle to left tackle. Andrew Wiley goes from right guard to right tackle in this game. But They allowed 20 pressures, the Chiefs offensive line in that opening game. 11 of them came from Remmers and Wiley, who will be playing different positions in this game. So there's an opportunity, Uh, you know, we'll see how the toe is with an extra week off of Mahomes, see how mobile he can be. Uh, He had no scramble yards against the Bills uh, for the first time since week nine. Uh, He did have, you know, uh, 28 rushing yards in these teams later in the year, 16 in design runs, 12 on scrambles. Uh, so we'll see, you know, I got a feeling he'll be needing some more of that mobility than he needed against Buffalo uh, in this game. Uh, but we'll see, yeah, how much pressure that front four can get for Tampa Bay. Because they asked them to get home in the first meeting, too. They did not blitz a lot. So we'll see if they, you know, kind of counter and, you know, Todd Bowles dials up any more blitzes and test maybe some of the movement, uh, some of the pieces of the, uh, you know, getting kind of mixed up here on the offensive line in this game.
0: Guts of a burglar bringing those blitzes.
1: So, you know, we'll see if Levante uh, David plays too. Obviously, yeah. that'll be a big deal.
2: Hundred percent. So, what are some of the factors and even advantages that either team has going into this game?
1: Well, I mean, that's it for the Bucks. Like they've got to get home. That's the story of the game. Can Can you get home uh, with four? Uh, even in Mahomes as good as against pressure, like I said in that game, it was still a stark contrast. When they got pressure and when he was kept clean, his performance in that game: seven point three yards per attempt when they got pressure, ten and a half yards per attempt when kept clean. So they're gonna have to get there, uh, you know. And we've seen teams, you know, kind of just approach the Chiefs playing that two-high safety look. Uh, the Bucks did it too. They played two-high safeties fifty-eight percent of the time. That was a twenty-three percent increase than they did against anyone else. Uh, this season and that's really what's elevated Travis Kelsey into having the season he had no player had more catches yards or touchdowns against two high safety looks in the NFL than Travis Kelsey this season and it wasn't just about limiting Tyree kill which is what teams did they wanted the Chiefs to sustain drives not not get beat by you know two to four play drives get beat over the top but what the Chiefs did in the middle of the season was really kind of flip the script and and really get Tyree kill involved intermediately. If you look at the first eight weeks of the season, Tyree kills depth of target 14.6 yards, average depth of target only at 6.8 targets per game. Teams were playing a lot of that shell coverage. The chiefs weren't able to really kind of use him effectively. They adjusted midway through the season. Remember Tyree kills first couple of seasons. He was a guy that got the ball near the line of scrimmage. Uh, and we got to, got to showcase his skills, you know, in not only in the return game, but you know, his yards after the catch ability and you know, got him on handoffs, jet sweeps and that kind of stuff early in his career. They got away from that the last couple of years, but this back half of the season, his depth of target has dropped three full yards. His targets have spiked almost five per game to 11.3 since week nine on. And you see it even against the bills uh, from that span on, he was second in the NFL in yards after the catch uh, six, 6.0 yak per, per reception after four and a half uh, yards after the catch prior uh, and you see that, like I said, against the Bills, when he's able to just get the ball in his hands and, and able to create, there was a couple, you know, kind of year and a half gap there where we kind of forgot Tyree Kill was that, that guy with the football. Uh, and the Chiefs have done a really good job of doing that the back half of the season.
2: But you, you say that he was getting the ball a lot around the line of scrimmage, and for the past year and a half, he hasn't been doing that. That also might coincide with the Chiefs drafting Nicole Hardman. And so they don't have to put one of their most valuable players at risk, you have know, the line of scrimmage where there's a lot of uh, heavier people that could do a lot more damage than let's say 180 pound safety,
1: yeah. Yeah, I mean, Tyreek is Tyreek is one of those guys that you've even seen it against the bills, he even caught that one speed out and kind of even juked himself out of bounds and was upset. I mean, he was he was in the pocket in the AFC championship game, and it's there's I really can't remember. A duo that complement each other as greatly as Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey do. There's been some great duos in NFL history, and I'm sure you know maybe your dad could, you know, even challenge that. <laughs> but but you know, the just the fact that you have to respect Tyree Kill's just you know, deep speed. You can't play man coverage on him. Even the Bucks will have Delve Jamel Dean available this game. He wasn't available the first game, and you know, he's obviously their fastest cornerback. you uh, he ran a four-three out of Auburn um but then if you if so if you play over the top and you don't want to get beat deep and you know Hardman's even a guy that can beat you deep then as I said it's it's played into this season this this Travis Kelsey already was an elite great tight end and when you just are playing the kind of coverage that the Chiefs have seen this season it takes a great player and elevates him into the type of season he had this year I mean it's they they just even paired with Mahomes like this these two guys complement each other so greatly and you know, even if you remove Mahomes go back you know four years ago look at the season Alex Smith had playing with these two guys yes. you know I mean there's just there's just not two players that complement each other in the passing game like these two guys do
0: and we have to give credit to Andy Reid because even the way they used those two guys have great games against Buffalo I say great they have good games but then they used them as decoys and used Hardman and his speed going the other way because Buffalo was loading that side. And, you know, I give Reed and Biennemi and that coaching staff a lot of credit for setting up those plays in optimal fashion.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, listen, Andy Reed's always cooking some stuff up.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of the coaching staff,
2: who do you think has the better coaching staff in the Super Bowl?
1: I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm going to side with it, with Andy Reed, uh, you know, especially you, we've got the Andy Reed coming off of, you know, a buy narrative, uh, just uh, gets, gets the cook up a little bit extra. Uh, like I, I mentioned Spags earlier too. I feel like Spags doesn't get enough credit, uh, in this chief's defense. I feel like the chief's defense is an underrated unit. They do not get enough, enough love. And they've got some individual pieces on that defense that are, you know, exceptional players that can do a lot of things. You mentioned Chris Jones. Uh, you know, earlier Tyron Matthew is the ultimate chess piece on defense. You know, he can blitz, he can play slot corner, he can play safety, he can play linebacker in the box. Uh, Ladarius Snead has been one of the blitz heaviest uh, defensive backs, like the the to close the season. Uh, so, I mean, I, I like the Chief staff on a slight edge. Uh, no disrespect to the Buck staff at all. Obviously, you know their staff is very strong, you know, Bruce Arians in his system, even I feel like you even can count Brady as part of the staff yes. uh, to a degree uh, <laughs> as well. Um, but just a slight edge to the Chiefs. But I mean, this game is what it is. I mean, this, this game opened at three and a half, it's stuck at three, the, the total hasn't moved. It's basically been two weeks of just staying, even with as much monies on this game. It is just frozen where it's at is not really heavily swung to one side.
0: And uh, Bowles is a good defensive coordinator. I think we oh, yeah. we judge him harshly because of, he wasn't that great as the Jets' head coach. Leftwich is a good offensive coordinator. You know, and then you have enemy and Reed, and I mean, it's uh, good coaching staffs. And uh, you know, I, I I'm pretty I'm pretty jazzed for this game, Rich.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's it looks great. I feel like that from a narrative stance, the NFL couldn't have asked for really anything better. Uh, not only do you have Brady in his 10th Super Bowl, you know, you have the Bucks, the first home team hosting a Super Bowl, and then you have the element of you know Brady and Mahomes is you know, are are is he passing the torch on to you know the next GOAT or the next potential dynasty? I mean, you know, if the Chiefs win the coin toss two years ago in overtime, they could be playing for their third Super Bowl in a row. Uh, you know, it's, you know, kind of interesting dynamic in that, in that sense, you know, that was against Brady. uh, But there's just a lot to like on paper in this matchup, even for a rematch, you know, typically, we don't always love to see a rematch. You know, we want to see a new game, but uh, it's hard to, to, to ask for a better matchup than this one.
2: We definitely agree on that. So Rich, we know you love props. Do you have any prop bets that you love this week?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a few prop bets. I like, uh, you know, I think, so starting with, you know, kind of the obvious ones, you know, the, as long as we don't get any crazy rain and, you know, the weather doesn't get, you know, you know, bonkers. I think the easiest one to look at uh, is the Patrick Mahomes over on pass attempts. Uh, it's sitting at 40 and a half right now. So Tampa Bay, we talked about their run defense, right? It's forced teams to basically just play one-dimensional all season long. The opposing offenses have thrown the ball 65.4% of the time against Tampa Bay. It's a league high rate. They face 39.2 pass attempts per game, second most in the NFL. Opposing passers hit 41 pass attempts or more in half of the games against the Bucs. And the Chiefs themselves they don't care about running the football if they don't need yeah. to. And they showed it in this first matchup. They, they threw the ball on 72.2% of their snaps. It was their second highest rate in a game uh, this season. It was 78% through three quarters. Uh, so they waited all the way into the fourth quarter when they had that, you know, 27 to 10 lead to even start really cranking up, even giving rushing attempts to their backs. Um, so, I mean, they're going to swerve into putting the ball into their best player's hands. Uh, in Patrick Mahomes. So if you like the Patrick Mahomes over, uh, I think you can look at some of the the way that that kind of sp- spills out. Now they've juiced up the Travis Kelsey and Tyreek lines extremely high in this game everywhere. The receptions uh, and the yards are extremely high for for Tyreek and Kelsey. You, t- you know, the, the receptions are seven and a half, eight and a half. But you look at these ancillary pieces, McCole Hardman, two and a half receptions, uh, over on those, uh, if 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 he's gonna be, if Mahomes is gonna be throwing the ball 41 plus times, there's gonna be a trickle down effect there. Uh, McCole Hardman, uh, he has at least three catches in seven of his last 11 games played. Uh, he's had he's reached three catches uh, this season in half of his games. Uh, Sammy Watkins has hit his yardage props and his reception props in 60% of his games played this season. He's had more than 37, his his yardage prop is 36 and a half. He's had 37 or more receiving yards in 72% of his career games with the Chiefs. Uh, It's so low. If you believe he's healthy, paired with Mahomes' volume, uh, you know, there's an opportunity to get in low there as well. Uh, Definitely like those. I feel like if you're going to be betting any Tyreek or Kelsey lines, I mean, Tyreek, longest reception is probably the best bet. Uh, He's gone, uh, he's had at least a 28-yard reception uh, in 59% of his games this season, 10 of 17. Uh, he had three such catches when these two teams played earlier in the season. Uh, Hardman also, uh, is another great reception prop. It's 14 and a half right now. He has had a 15 yard reception in two thirds of his games played this season. Uh, and he's had at least a 15 yard catch in, uh, you know, nine of his past 12 games. Uh, so there's some opportunity there as well. Um, you know, if you're looking at individual props uh, there to kind of bet, uh, I have some prop articles on the site that are free for everyone to read at Shuffle Analysis kind of in the weeds there. But those are some of my favorites off top, uh, just kind of reeling through a couple.
0: One of the ones that I saw that was interesting to me that I thought my my gut said was on the wrong side of history on this was the Tom Brady completion percentage one if you know which one I'm talking about, because he has not completed a high percentage of his passes of late. And uh, I think his completion percentage is somewhere they have in the sixties or seventies and he's been beneath that of late. And so uh, Mm -hmm. it'll be interesting on that. How about uh, Antonio Brown or Le'Veon Bell rematch? Are you going to get into any of those props?
1: Uh, Antonio, Brown, Antonio Brown has been favorable in his, you know, where his props lie right now. The question is, you know, how healthy is he? And the Chiefs are, for from season-long stance, they're far more vulnerable to interior wide receivers than um, uh, boundary wide receivers They're actually the best defense against boundary receivers uh, in the NFL this season. Uh, and that held true. The first matchup, it was Chris Godwin. He had five for 80 from the slot six for 97 or eight for 97 in that game. Uh, so I think the matchup does favor, you know, Godwin the most of the, you know, Kansas city pass catchers. And he's been hot as well himself. Uh, he'd be my lean Le'Veon. I mean, we seen it last year with LaShawn McCoy, like the chiefs just didn't play LaShawn McCoy at the end of the season. Do we think that Le'Veon's really even going to see any snaps in this Super Bowl? Could he potentially even be inactive? I don't think that's out of question. He doesn't play special teams. Uh, Darrell Williams has answered the bell in these playoffs. He's been reliable and done what they've asked. Clyward Sclare's is healthy. Uh, can we really even count on Le'Veon? I, I don't know. I really don't really have any faith in Le'Veon playing a lot of snaps and potentially even being an active in this game like McCoy was last year if they don't have a role for him uh because we already talked about just a second ago I don't think they're going to be running the ball unless it's late in the game securely using the using the run for clock purposes so what kind of role does Le'Veon have in this game if Darrell Williams and Clyde Edwards-Lair are ahead of him
2: yeah I don't know what do you think Reeves? I don't think he has much of a role except maybe as pass catching back but you mentioned the Chiefs running the ball. Whenever they started to run the ball against the Buccaneers, you noticed the lead, the, their lead started to get, uh, started to fall away a little bit. But yep. so by wow. them, I don't see a
0: problem throwing it almost every down, as long as you're not going into the wind. Keep the keep the foot on the throat and just ease it all the way in. Is that what you're saying, Reese? Yes. Yeah. Uh, why fix a broken clock? Exactly. Yep. <laughs> uh, why fix a perfectly clean, uh, <laughs> good good clock? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, Rich on this, I also think that Gronk on unders of catches is another one that people expect better numbers than he has been uh, for Gronk. And Cameron uh, Brate's been the receiver, right?
1: Yep. Yeah, Brate. So Brate's out targeted him seventeen to seven in the postseason. Gronk has two or fewer catches in five straight games, ended nine of his past 11 games. Now, the tight ends were a huge part of the game plan when these teams met earlier in the season. Gronk had seven targets. Breit had six targets. Gronk had a season-high mm-hmm. 106 receiving yards. Uh, but, you know, you can't just, you know, bet overs based on just what happened in week 12, or else, you know, you'd be just jamming even these lofty Tyreek Hill overs <laughs> uh, based, on, based on that. I think one area where you can look at Gronk where I think is interesting, though, uh, is his longest reception over. It's at 15 and a half yards. Uh, he's had a 16 plus yard catch in 63% of his games. And even though he hasn't been catching a lot of passes, uh, he, he still has been catching them for significant yards when he does. He has a catch of, of over 15 and a half yards in 12 of 19 games this season and in seven of his past 10 games. So if he is you know, going to catch one, I think you know that's where you look at is, is playing the over on his if you're going to play a Gronk over, it would be the long reception uh, as one of the more favorable bets uh, on his mm-hmm. on his docket, just because he has not been involved since that Chiefs game, you know, in, in totality, uh, just not really stacking receptions. He's, he's doing a, a lot of blocking uh, and doing some road grading like Gronk like Gronk can. But uh, they've been really involving Cameron Brayton in the passing game a lot, especially his postseason.
0: Do you have a feel for Ronald Jones versus Fournette?
1: I do think we'll see Ronald Jones play more than he did in the NFC championship game. Uh, There were some whispers that, you know, the cold weather and his quad uh, put some pause on it. Obviously Fournette had the hot hand is also has to play a little bit of a role into, you know, the, the gap that they had. Um, But if they do try to run the football a little bit more than they do, than they did in week 12, because remember they're down 17, nothing from, the final three quarters of the game, the Bucks were 32 pass plays, then nine run plays. I think that they would strive for a little more balance than that, you know, as long as they're not chasing 17 points again. Uh, when healthy, Ronald Jones, they've kind of has, has always kind of fallen back on him in the run game. The thing is, is that if you're counting on any game script, I mean, it definitely favors Leonard Fournette because of his receiving role. Uh, he's run a pass route on 38% of the team dropbacks uh, this season. Ronald Jones just 26%. So that's kind of like a more safety net for four net when the split is you know that he's at least locked in that passing down role. I do think we'll see Ronald Jones play a little bit more, though, than he did against Green Bay. If you remember the first time these teams played, too, Ronald Jones was kind of the spark plug. Um, that team, they really weren't doing anything. He had a 37 yard touchdown on a reception that he broke it. Then he had a long, like, 40 yard run in that game uh over the course of the season as good as Fournette has played in the postseason I mean by by and large you know Ronald Jones has been the more electric player than Leonard Fournette you know for the course of the season uh and I think they'll need some of that so I think we will see a little bit more of Ronald Jones than we did uh against Green Bay
0: hopefully he doesn't fumble but I mean (laughs) he's always
1: one play one play I know
0: (laughs) the other thing about Fournette is I would stay away from receptions, targets possibly for Fournette, but, you know, his hands haven't been that, that strong last few games. For a guy that caught a bunch of balls in 2019, Fournette's, he's dropped his share this postseason.
1: I mean, even the touchdown he caught against the Saints, he, you know, he double caught that one. Oh, yeah. Uh, but you know, it's kind it of twice. the – yeah, you know, that's kind of what we you, you know, were on against Leonard Fournette last year. The argument for him coming into this season before he got cut was everyone was citing how many catches he had at the Jaguars last year. But there's a difference between being capable of catching a pass and then adding functionality through the receiving game. And that was what not, not what Leonard Fournette did last year with the Jaguars. He caught a bunch of dump-offs, but wasn't adding a lot to the offense through the passing game. Uh, and, you know, that's kind of been the case still when he's gotten targets with the Bucks as well. Uh, so we'll see how much they involve the backs in the passing game, uh, you know, if they're chasing game script, you know, as well. But definitely one of the odder developments, I think, of this season was, you know, Leonard Fournette becoming, like, the safe passing down back yes. <laughs> for any team.
0: yes. Because he, he, it seems like it's in his head right now. You know, he, it's just one of those things. So, one of
2: the – I don't want to say it's the biggest storyline outside of the Super Bowl the past couple weeks, but it is one, one of the biggest is the golf Stafford trade, the first blockbuster trade of 2021. Looking at it from, I guess, about a week back, a uh, week in hindsight, who do you think won the trade, Rich?
1: I mean, I, I would say just from like a, a team stance, I mean, they're the Rams are getting a quarterback upgrade. So I guess we can say default that they win the trade, but there's a lot of minutiae here. I don't think it's as black and white as just saying, well, Stafford's an upgrade on golf. I mean, cause the Rams obviously put themselves in a spot now where they haven't made a first round pick since 2016, which was golf. They won't make another first round pick since 2024 uh, until 2024. And what that is, is their margin of error is just so small. Like, you know, if they don't cash in over these next couple of years, they really have no way to funnel in the pipeline of talent. So they're all in over these next couple, you know, uh, you know, seasons here. Um, I, 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 applaud them from a sense for going for it, but also, you know, you're in a bind, like I said, your margin of error is really small. If you have an injury plagued season, if Stafford just has any decline, uh, there's a lot that can still go wrong and you're not like, you you now have no pipeline to tangible assets through the, via the draft, uh, which is a tricky spot, uh, to be in. I like this trade from a different, a couple angles because we can look at it from this Ram sense and like golf or, uh, Stafford himself we can make a strong argument that he's had as much talent uh, than what the Rams are offering in terms of pass catching, but he hasn't had a staff like this. Uh, you know coaching staff to work with he really hasn't had a good coaching staff to work with in the totality of his career uh so seeing what he can do with you know some uh, a proper scheme you know paired with a good defense he's not played with very many good defenses over his Detroit career uh by any means um and you know Stafford's guy can still be you know a hyper efficient quarterback as well we even seen a couple years ago when Jim Bob Cooter was there Uh, them kind of take the air out of the football, and he was a low depth of target, you know, kind of a more efficient target quarterback, and they could do something like that as well here. Uh, So I'm excited to see that. I mean, Goff, it's a tough spot for Goff because he's, you know, second lifeline. But he's going to a spot that's in a clear rebuild. They the only wide receiver under contract right now for the Lions is Quintez Cephas. Uh, so we have to see. We can't. We have to see what he has to work with, you know, coming into next year. Uh, you know, Dan Campbell and Anthony Lynn is a significant coaching uh, downgrade, I believe, as well. So we'll see what Goff could do in terms of like kind of. Is, is this just an audition? Is it a bridge? Uh, are they in on him? You know, kind of being the franchise quarterback still. There's a lot to be said. Uh, based on seeing what the Lions put on the field with Goff because their roster is so incomplete right now or if it's just the rebuild kind of saps any you know kind of upside because Goff, I do believe, is a guy that needs the, the pieces around him to elevate him as well. Uh, so we'll see how it plays out uh, as well. But, I mean, listen, the season's not even over yet and we're already having huge trades. Uh, so, I mean, th- if that's an indication of what we're going to have you know, when the season ends – uh, you know, Deshaun Watson getting traded, uh, any other pieces moving. Remember last year we had, you know, Stephon Diggs got traded, DeAndre Hopkins got traded. Uh, there was a lot happening last off season. So we could have another fun off season again, if by all indications of what we've already seen with the two quarterbacks that were starting quarterbacks getting moved for each other, which almost never happens.
0: Especially within the conference. What are the odds? So if I'm Detroit and, you know, you, you saw, you read more than I do, I assume. And all this, these, uh, this swirl that hey, the Rams had a bunch of people calling about goth. I wonder if Detroit could move him for another first-round pick in 2022 or whatever, and you know, be able to even reap more rewards and just go into total rebuild. Because Goff's not going to help them win more games. In fact, you you probably don't even if want him around it there's this you know if it's circling the drain get something for him start that rebuild in earnest any validity to that rich
1: i mean anything any, anything is anything is, uh, has potential to happen uh with the lines they're an open book right now obviously i think the trade was great on their end you know obviously stafford was they were openly going to move him So to get two picks and a starting quarterback for him, two first round picks and a starting quarterback, no matter what you feel about Goff. I mean, I do believe that Goff is one of the 32 best quarterbacks in the NFL. So I believe he is starting caliber. So to get a starting caliber quarterback and two first round picks, even with the Goff contract, which I believe is a little overblown, uh, you know, you know, the ramifications of his contract, I don't believe are as negative as people have painted, Uh, especially the Lions definitely can take that on uh, with no blip on the radar uh, as well uh, to see what they do. If, you know, if he gets flipped down the line, definitely potential, but I mean, I do like the trade a lot from the Lions perspective, being able to get a starting quarterback and two first round picks as they approach this next era of trying to reconfigure what Matt Patricia left in crumbles here,
2: oh yeah. I do like the, <laughs> the trade in just a sheer pick standpoint. But you mm-hmm. look at who the Lions have drafted with their first round picks, the trade make becomes a lot less exciting. You can't just get the picks; you have to make good decisions with the picks. So, oh, yeah. so I'm not exactly entirely great with the trade if I'm a Li- If I was a Lions fan, especially with Stafford being a fan favorite, but.
1: potential
0: is there it's kind of like the Raiders right you know they really didn't get that much for Cooper and Mack when we look at how that impacted their starting lineup and Mm uh you know that's what you have to watch out for the Raiders I mean for the Lions you know they have to do a better job than the Raiders but I was thinking like the Colts Goff would be a decent you know he's worth the first round pick for the Colts or something of that nature you know the Colts have to fill that void and so there are a few of those teams that could be in a play for golf that's just my thought I mean because otherwise they're left with Newton or Dalton or somebody like that to Rod Taylor you know somebody like that and I think that I prefer golf of those choices
1: yeah I mean the Colts the Colts are definitely one of those gray area teams where they've basically pushed in on on being there outside of the quarterback. It's interesting is the, the Colts like have built like a decent core, like almost on accident around, you know, the quarterback position. Uh, but I, there's no way that that was their plan, you know, right. especially, you know, obviously the Andrew Luck, you know, situation changed so much for them. Uh, you know, the preseason last preseason uh, just altered so much of what their franchise was doing going forward. You know, you just, you pick up reset to kind of bridge that and then you have rivers for a year maybe if he i assume if rivers w- wanted to play again they would have gladly had him back as well uh so it's gonna be interesting to see what they what they do um uh, i mean there's there's a lot i mean a lot of the nfl could have a lot of quarterback turnover there's there's not many safe quarterbacks right now uh, i think about half the league could have a new quarterback uh, you know heading into next season
2: but uh, one destination i would like to go to just because of the receiver there is Washington because I would love to see goff with a quarterback that can actually throw the ball and be a good court, make good decisions. McCorn, Kevin McLaurin. Yes. I do not want to oust uh, Alex Smith. That's all he's gone through. And hopefully he ends up somewhere like Indianapolis who could use him.
0: So, Rich, you have been a Minshew, Gardner Minshew fanboy, right? Is that fair?
1: Uh, no, I wouldn't say I'm a fanboy but I mean, he's a definitely a guy that I took a bunch of, the you know, super flex leagues at the end. Cause I thought he just had like a, the situation he's going to, was going to offer a chance to start. And he did, uh, it'd be interesting to see if, yeah, anyone kicks the tires on him too, you know, to just kind of bridge the gap. I, I think, you know, Minchu is basically one of those guys though that is a better backup, a guy that is better in like spurts, you know, playing two to six games instead of, you know, 16 for you. uh but it will be interesting because he's so cheap. You know, he's got two years still on his rookie contract has shown he's at least capable for stretches of being a functional quarterback. If anyone kicks the tires there. Uh, but I do think he, he, it's kind of shown that he is a better backup quarterback than, than a full-time starter. Uh, but they, listen, everyone needs guys this year, but we've got, you know, a great, another really great rookie class again, this, this year, uh four five guys we I mean, see six guys you know in the first round you know depending on how you feel about you know uh kyle trask if he gets in the first round i think we all believe mac jones is going to get in the first round now um he's not my really my flavor because he doesn't he, he doesn't have mobility like the other top four guys do wilson fields lance and lawrence uh, mm-hmm. i would prefer my quarterback a little mobility now especially in today's nfl uh but you know we could see six first round quarterbacks this year
0: that is crazy, and you know I'm sorry to put push Minshew on you on like that, but you know Ryan Fitzpatrick could also be a starter. I mean, the Colts could I could see them signing Fitzpatrick and drafting Mac Jones and calling that, or you know something like that. It's we're in a new day in the NFL quarterbacks because all the old guys are starting to move out and we're trying to figure out are the young guys as good as we hope they would be and yeah so now we're
1: we starting to see Derek Carr's Derek, Derek Carr's Carr. name mentioned too as potentially be traded as well he's another guy the Colts could easily take Derek Carr on you know yeah. uh, so we'll see what happens with with that as well because uh his name's come up too
0: any chance Carson Wentz gets traded
1: yeah I still think there's an absolute chance he does uh I, I don't believe that, you know, they, the new coaching staff was completely sold on you have to fix Wentz. I think if they had an, uh, a good enough offer and can come out of that contract, they would. Uh, just depends on if what the market is for him and what the staff feels about Jalen Hurts as well, you know, coinciding with that, you know, where, where the organization is with Jalen Hurts, you know, taking over. Because I still believe the Eagles believe they're operating from a stance of they're not rebuilding that they still have a team that's good enough to absolutely win that division and still compete in the NFC. I definitely believe that's their internal dialogue.
2: Sort of like how the 49ers
0: were a Super Bowl team a year before they were the Super Bowl team. Yeah, we all have our own rationalizations in life, you know. (laughs) I look at that mirror and it smiles back and it really shouldn't have done. And, uh, you know, it's interesting with Stafford out in the NFC West, That's a great quarterback division. I mean, even Garoppolo being the fourth is decent. But, you know, we mentioned the Colts, but the other team that's right there with the Colts that looks primed and we're interested to see what they're going to do is a team like the Bears. You know, and I'm just interested to see how all this plays out because some of the veterans we saw, I mean, is New Orleans going to be able to keep Jameis? What's going to happen to Cam Newton and all that others? You know, I mean, there's so many dominoes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a fun, a fun offseason, uh, to say the least.
2: Yeah. You mentioned fun offseason. How do you see this Watson drama playing out? Do you think he's going to get traded? Do you think he's going to hold out? Do you think he's just going to suck it up and stay?
1: I mean, I would think I would think that there's definitely enough, you know, uh, smoke to the fire here. And we're in a different era now. I think that, you know, the NBA was, you know, obviously a league that pushed this where the players, you know, got more power. And we're starting to see that happen in the NFL. Um, So, I mean, it might be irreparable. And to be honest with you, as crazy as it sounds, I think that trading Watson is really the only way that Houston can even start to rebuild. This team has no assets. They have no cornerstone players outside of Deshaun Watson. They have, you know, they have JJ Watt. That's really it. They they have holes everywhere. They don't have, they have a ton of bad contracts. They don't have any draft picks. Um, trading Watson, actually, if they are all in on this rebuild in this new regime, like it, keeping Watson and kicking the can, like you can definitely run into some, you know, probably, you know, he can get you to some eight, 10, one seasons for sure. But how good can the Texans possibly make their team in the immediate future, even k- keeping Watson? Uh, they're pro- probably not better than the Titans still in the short term, probably still not better than the Colts. Uh, as crazy as it sounds, trading Watson actually might does kind of make a lot of sense for them if they can get the absolute haul that they should be able to get for Deshaun Watson. Um, obviously, the Jets stand out. I mean, if you're able to get those two first-round picks, another future first, maybe a guy like Quinnen Williams on a rookie deal, uh, that's a great starting block to just try to rebuild this. I know your fan base is going to, it's going to be a nightmare for PR, but like, if you're going to have to move him anyways, uh, I think one, it will not make sense because you need a lot of picks. You need to, I mean, this is what, in hindsight, the DeAndre Hopkins trade is so bad, even compounded on this because you got nothing for the future from for DeAndre Hopkins either. Uh, so, I mean, trading, trading Watson actually from an organizational stance, as crazy as it sounds, Uh, you know, it it could be the kind of haul that they gets them going on the right track to building this thing back up, especially if you can get it, if if you get the Jets pick, that is a quarterback at two. Uh, And then you're talking about another, another, you know, the Seahawks first round pick uh, that they got for Jamal Adams, another future one, uh, and then potentially another player. You're, you're kind of starting on the track of, of building this thing back up.
2: Do you take that Jets hypothetical Jets trade or do you take uh, two or three, the number three pick, the number what uh, teen or whatever pick from the Dolphins, a future pick, and then let's say Tua or someone else?
1: Yeah, I think it just depends on what you feel on your, you know, your assessment of Tua versus the, the rookie quarterbacks coming out. I, obviously, I'm still pretty high on Tua. I feel like, you know, he played better than people, obviously, that give him credit for, especially with the offensive line around him and just how many injuries the Dolphins playmakers had over that stretch of the season, uh, and especially coming off of his injury. Uh, so, you know, I'm still pretty high on Tua. Uh, from a Dolphins stance, I still think I would, I would obviously upgrade if I had the chance to upgrade from Tua to Watson, I would do it, uh, absolutely. But it just depends on how – where you think you grade Tua versus, you know, a field to Zach Wilson – uh, you know, Trey Lance, wherever you have those guys on your board, but you know, you have to get a quarterback or a pick to take the next franchise quarterback involved with this trade with Watson. I think that's why, you know, a team like the Colts is, is a bad, you know, pairing partner, obviously in division as well. You never yes. want to send him, uh, you know, in a spot where you're going to, you know, have to face him multiple times per year uh, for a rival, but you've got to be in a position to get a franchise quarterback back immediately uh, for him. Uh, whether it be via pick or getting Tua in a pick, Um, and so I just think it depends on how, where you come out on fields and those guys versus Tua, but I would be open to both, you know, and especially if a team wants to throw in a a player like the Jets could potentially uh, be able to do, Uh, and the Jets would be fun too, or the Dolphins even, because, you know, whoever trades for Watson at the top there, I mean, hopefully we can get Allen Robinson to go with Sean Watson so we can get we can free two birds with one stone and have Allen Robinson finally play with a good quarterback uh, for the first time uh, in not only his NFL career but going back to college as well because you know he had Hackenberg in college uh, that we could see Allen Robinson finally play with some quality quarterback
2: but you mentioned Tua but I do think it would bring the Texans fan base a lot of hope for the future if you drop Tua let's say his college teammate Devontae
0: Smith just bring those two together, see if they can replicate what they did. And they're going to be playing from behind. So how about Darnold? Does Darnold change teams this offseason, Rich?
1: Yeah, I think that uh, he does. Uh, I mean, if the Jets don't make this push for Watson or if it doesn't pan out, you're using uh, that pick on a quarterback, uh, which obviously I think then you, that that pushes you know Darnold to be on the move. And, you know, Darnold's another one of these guys, you know, a change of scenery could do him a lot of good. I think he has some bad habits, but there are plays on tape that you see Darnold uh, when he is, you know, that he's still, there's something there still. Obviously, you know, the, the long run against the Broncos on Thursday night. I know that this touchdown didn't mean anything, but if you go back to week two or three when they played the 49ers, there's a touchdown he threw to Braxton Berrios on the run that like it's one of the best plays a quarterback has made this season so there's something there I think you get him just a new fresh start with an actual coaching staff um I mean he would have been an interesting guy I think too you know to, be, to go to the Rams to be with McVay um but get him with a good coaching staff and see what happens uh you know there's still I think some a light you know some spark still potentially for him as well
0: Oh, yeah. If I'm the Steelers, I pursue Darnold, right? Because he'd be the the perfect bridge after Ben. Um, I mentioned Jameis earlier, and I see this talk now from Sean Payton. Hey, we love Jameis. We want him to, you know, blah, blah, blah. When, you know, Breeze missed time earlier in the season, Jameis was nowhere to be seen. Do Do you think that's talk or do you think that's legitimate? I don't... I, I think if they really loved him like they say they loved him, it would have shown a little more.
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not, I, I'm not sure. I mean, Jameis was awful the game he came in against the 49ers when Breeze got knocked out of that game. Um, and that that really kind of didn't invoke a lot of confidence for him starting. And Taysom Hill was fine, you know. Uh to definitely, you know, from you know an analytics stance, he still was he was he was above the threshold that you want from quarterbacks. Now a lot of people don't realize that Taysom Hill is a lot older than you would think, you know, he's going to be 31 years old. Obviously he, you know, he did his mission at BYU. He's an older prospect. He also had a few injuries at BYU and kept pushing back his, you know, college eligibility. Uh, But he's a lot older quarterback. So it's, it's easy for the saints to say that, yeah, they don't want to go that route either because he's so much older. Uh, But you know, they're, they're up against the cap. What can they bring Jameis back for is Jameis willing to come back, for, you know, kind of pittance to a degree uh, when they didn't back him when Breeze went down this year. Um, I definitely want J- to see Jameis start. I mean, Jameis is like our heir apparent to Ryan Fitzpatrick, right? right? Like he's, he has the Fitzpatrick gene where the roller coaster of the hair on fire, you don't know what you're going to get on a down to down basis but he is the ability to kind of still be like a fun fantasy quarterback and make all the pieces around him, you know, uh, good for fantasy, which we always love. Uh, So even when you get the worst of Jameis, like, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, when even when Fitzpatrick was at his worst, his guys are still elevated from a fantasy stance. And I think that's what we see Jameis in the next stage of his career is kind of maybe take the mantle from and be like the new Ryan Fitzpatrick. I
2: don't know if he can grow as good of a
0: beard
1: though. Definitely not.
0: He can eat some W's (laughs) though, right?
1: He will eat the W's.
0: <laughs> just no mention in uh, Frog Legs in front of Reese, all right, Rich?
2: No, I have to Google
0: this now. No, no, please don't. Please don't. <laughs> so, as we wrap up here, what are
2: some storylines that you're going to be watching this offseason?
1: Um, that's a great question. Yeah, definitely, the, like, a lot of this, you know, definitely the quarterback carousel that I believe that we're going to have just seeing where those pieces fall – uh, definitely ready to start digging into more into these prospects. I've, I've slowly get getting there. I don't have the capacity during the NFL season to fully invest into college football. I watch what I can and watch some of these players when I can, but now I'm really making up the ground now. So I'm really excited this next week when the Super Bowl is over, uh, to get more into this, more into prospecting look at the, looking at this draft class, it's going to be a unique draft draft class in totality. And I'm looking forward to this draft because, you know, we've got, no combine. We've got some players that didn't play at all in college last year. We've got some guys that only played what four to six games. Some guys played ten games. It's going to be a real fun process draft. We're really going to see how teams approach the draft uh, with more transparency transparency than normal this year. What whether teams value analytics more, whether they value just raw testing numbers, whether they value uh, just production numbers uh, or the tape, uh, you know, we're going to really have some transparency on how teams approach the draft this year. And we'll be curious to see if we have, see people, you know, um, teams trade more draft picks this year, just because of the uncertainty, maybe they move out of picks this year. uh, Like we, you know, some dynasty owners might do, we've seen that happen. Uh, So, I mean, definitely really looking forward to that whole next step in the process of this draft, which is unique in its own sense.
0: Oh yeah. You mentioned that. I was, saying Trey Lance played one game and it was an average game. And then you have Mac Jones who, you know, you've seen as much as you need to, whichever, no matter your opinion of Mac Jones, there's enough tape on him to come to that conclusion. Trey Lance, maybe not so much. Zach Wilson, maybe not so much. You know, Fields, I almost get the feeling that people have seen so much of him that we don't appreciate how good he's been and same with Trevor Lawrence. How about Jordan Love as a off-season topic? Is he going to stay in Green Bay? Are they going to extend Rodgers?
1: I definitely believe Rodgers will be back just because they're – you know, you're, you're in the NFC Championship game back-to-back years with Matt LaFleur uh, his first two years, and, you know, you, you can't get back there without Rodgers. You know, once you move on from Rodgers, you're starting over. And I don't think they're ready to do that yet. Uh, Jordan Love, by all accounts, th- he did not show anything, you know, with the team by all, by beat reporters. Uh, he wasn't even active for any game this season. Uh, you know, by all accounts he struggled in practice and an adjustment to the NFL. Surprise, surprise. I mean, not, I wasn't a Jordan Love, uh, a honk either in the draft and, and thought that that draft pick, you know, it was one of the, 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 the you know, kind of, you know, spit your water out moments during the draft <laughs> uh definitely but uh i don't i don't really see aaron Rodgers not being anywhere outside of green bay next year
0: yeah i don't either i just i think that's an interesting offseason topic though because they either have to have a plan to move on past uh past rogers after maybe another year and have love as the heir apparent or you extend Rodgers and then you have to figure out what to do with love right i mean you, you got to do something. You can't really just keep them both coming in perpetuity because you're going to waste that first round draft pick on a, you know, a good contract because that's the value of it is that contract.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I do think that's what we're going to see play out. <laughs> uh, is is that just going down as uh, just a really poor organizational decision, uh, trading up to, to do it. Oh,
0: yeah it's not bad enough to be a bad decision but let me pay juice on top of it
2: double down oh yeah, yeah. double down just like
0: david geldman always does on so his big man oh yeah good old Ghetto. <laughs> rich it's been great having you on um rich, uh, reese any closing thoughts just keep doing the great work over at
2: uh, sharp football stats
1: yeah, I appreciate it, man. Definitely check that stuff out. I mean, all the stuff I did through the playoffs is free. Everything um, I'll be doing this entire offseason, too, uh, post-Super Bowl, you know, obviously I'll start to get cooking on these dynasty rankings and these rookie rankings and stuff out there. All the stuff in the offseason will continue just to be no paywall uh, at Sharp Football Analysis. So definitely check that stuff out, you know, once we get get moving into the moving to the 21, 2021 gears. Oh, yeah. Hopefully
0: you'll come back between now and the draft and uh, be your fourth appearance on this. And we'll talk some rookie drafts.
1: Hopefully I beat someone, whoever is, whoever's next in line. I beat to the the fourth spot.
0: I want it to be you too. Just don't tell anybody. (laughs) Have a great one, Rich. I appreciate
1: it guys.